Amen. Amen. We'll have a seat. Grab a Bible. Let's get into the Word of God and, and uh, see what the Lord would say to us through His Word. We're wrapping up this week our study in the, in the book of Acts, of the sermons of Acts. And uh, it's been a great journey. I've enjoyed it. And I know that God has spoken to our church through it. You know, I love when God speaks to individuals, but I really do love when God speaks to a church. You know, we all individually hear things, um, and you should hear from God uh, for your life, for your family, for your future, for your direction. But, you know, we aren't called to be just a body in ourselves. The Bible tells us that we're parts of a body. It's just like my legs need the rest of my body and my arm needs the rest of my body and my nose needs my eyes and my ears need my mouth that that we all need each other we have something different than just well I individually heard something for me when the Lord speaks to a body the body moves together you know Paul said to the Philippian church I thank God that here's what how you make my joy complete be of the same mind be of the same mind doesn't mean that you think exactly the same all the time. God's put different people that think differently and, and have, have a lot of different giftings. That's good. But being of the same mind means the body is being controlled by the same brain, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the head, right? That somehow the body is in agreement together. You know, if, if, if my hand is trying to go one way and my leg is trying to go the other, or if every part of my body just wants to show off how great, how great I am, how great these parts are, my hand is waving and my foot is kicking and my head is shaking and, and I'm doing all these different things to... For each part to show off their skill, I look crazy and I feel crazy. But when the body moves together, when you see a runner, I mean, don't you love in the Summer Olympics watching those runners run in a way that you never thought was possible, right? And they break records all the time. Somehow, somehow the human body has not found its limit yet. It's the human mind that has a limit. And it seems like they keep pushing past those limits, right? We keep breaking records. I mean, maybe they've got better shoes now, too. But, you know, there's, <laughs> there's something to it. And when you watch those guys, you notice not one movement is wasted. Not one part is not working. So their hands are working, right? When you think of a runner, you think of his feet. But watch, watch his arms. Watch his eyes. Watch his neck. Watch, watch, or watch, watch how she, she uh, breathes a certain way so that, so that she can get to, the, to that other line. So th- when those runners run, every part of their body is doing something to get them there. And in the same way, when God gives a church a vision, and he's given this church vision, when he gives a church a vision, he, he says, okay, body parts, do your part to carry out that vision. If we're obsessed with just saying, well, I want to I flex my muscles, well, then we're going to miss out on, on this. So one of the things that Paul said was in, the, in Philippians was that I, I'm, I'll make my joy complete by being of the same mind, intent on one purpose, having the same goal of the same, united in spirit, intent on that purpose, intent on that thing that God's called you to. And so it's been a joy for me. I said all of that just to say this simple thing. It's been a joy for me as we've gone through this book of Acts and see the sermons of it, um, to see that we didn't just learn something like, now I know more about Acts. What I really witnessed in the church was God imparting vision through that, um, beyond what I had planned, beyond what I thought could happen. 
I saw people picking things out, picking things up. And I saw a church that was taking the word of God and putting it into 2022. And that's really exciting to me. And I want to close this out in Acts chapter 28. It's crazy to think we're, we're closing this out. It won't be long till we're closing out the year. Isn't that nuts? Moving into 2023, and I know that God doesn't change his vision when the calendar changes, right? You know that God's not moved by the Julian calendar. Um, so it's not like the vision will automatically change when the clock strikes midnight. Uh, we're going to carry on in what God's doing. But, you know, there are seasons, there are rhythms in our year. And, and I, I want to draw this as we, um, as we bring this to a close where Paul has arrived at Rome. This has been his goal. Remember, this is how he survived uh, almost getting beaten to death. This is how he survived a shipwreck. It was the knowledge, I'm going to get to Rome. And God didn't give him any promises past that that we know of. Jesus said to him, be of good courage, take heart, for as you've witnessed for me here, so will you witness for me in Rome. So that's his promise. Now he's having to walk into the unknown knowing that I'm going to preach in front of the emperor and he might say, thank you, what must I do to be saved? Or he might just chop my head off right there and I don't know which one it is. How do you like those options? In reality, it was a third option. He didn't, it wasn't either of those. Paul went to uh, testify before Nero and I know when we hear Nero, we think, well, he, he's an insane guy. If you know anything about Nero, you go, this man was a madman. But in reality, the first time Paul visited him probably was during his chill years, um, his mellow period, his acoustic era, you know? He hadn't gone electric and crazy yet. Uh, he was still kind of, he had uh, his, his tutor Seneca, um, which was, was a famous Stoic philosopher. He, they had high hopes for him, but he, his mom was insane. Um, his history was weird, and, and he had something lurking on the back of his his own spirit, his own mind, and he eventually just lost it. But at this point, he was somewhat reasonable, and we, we know this. Paul testified before Caesar and actually was released for a little bit. So he wasn't in prison for the rest of his life. He actually was released for a time. He did some more ministry. Some say he, he pressed as far as Spain, made it to Spain, witnessed for God there. Uh, there's a lot of theories about how far he went, but... He eventually was taken back and once again a prisoner. And eventually, at the end of his life, here's what happened. Uh, they took him outside the city. This is when the Nero's persecution of the Christians had really taken hold. Took him outside of the city and executed him on the Appian Way. So this is his life at this point. He's not there yet, but he's getting close and he knows it's close. And he comes into Rome and he seeks out his Jewish brothers. Because his principle is in every city, I'm going to testify to the Jew first and then the Gentile. His heart was for his own people, right? He was a, he was a Jewish man, like all the apostles, original apostles were. He was a Jewish man raised in the rabbinical teaching, uh, raised in the Pharisaic tradition. And so he, his first heart was for his own people because he said in Romans 10, he says, my heart is for my people, my brothers, who I want them to be saved because here's what's happening. Seeking to establish their own righteousness, they are not submitting themselves to the righteousness of God, which is by faith. So self-righteousness sends you right to hell. Self-righteousness has no power in it. 
And he says, I want my brothers to know that there's a gift of righteousness. I want them to know what Jesus, I want them to know Jesus is the Messiah. He's about to say here that I wear these chains for the hope of Israel. Like what we've been hoping for all our lives, brothers, it's here. We've been praying for the Messiah. He's here. What is the hope of Israel? The Messiah, redemption, a new kingdom. He's going to come and talk about it. So here, let's pick up in Acts chapter 28. Verse 16 says, when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, in other words, the Jewish leaders, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. They said to him, we have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. So what they're saying is, we don't know about you. We haven't heard anything bad about you. But we've heard some bad things about your sect of Judaism. We've heard some things about your belief. And and we know it's, it's everywhere there's trouble about this. Verse 23 When they had set a day for Paul, they came to his lodging in large numbers because he's under house arrest. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. I want you to hear that. Others would not believe. It's a choice to believe. It's always a choice to believe. And if you're waiting on every single doubt to be, to be assuaded, every single uh, 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 little, little thing that, that bugs you to suddenly go away and that all of a sudden this, everything in life just makes perfect sense, I have no questions anymore, that's not life. And if you waited to believe, here's the thing, Jesus said, didn't I tell you, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. See, but we say, if I see, I'll believe. If I can see it, then I'll believe it. If I can understand it, then I'll believe it. If I can fully comprehend it, then I'll believe it. I'm, I'm telling you, the, the God we serve is infinite. If he could be fully comprehended by your, pardon me, puny brain, he would not be a great God. If you want a God, you can understand what you're looking for is an idol. And an idol is dead. Because an idol is created by us. We will never create something greater than ourselves. We only create cheap copies of ourselves. And the Bible says those that worship idols will become like them. But you know, here we're, we're reading about a God that's so far beyond our understanding. But God that says, my ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. And yet he invites us in and he says, I'm going to reveal things to you that you haven't even imagined. I'm going to show you things you do not know. Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me and I will answer you 
Now, he doesn't say, call unto me, pastors, and I'll answer you. Call unto me, mature believers. Call unto me if you have called everybody else. Because I'm busy, so call everybody else first. Then call unto me. No, he says to anyone. Let me put this out there. He doesn't even say to believers. Call unto me, and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things you do not know. Now, I know the context of that is he's speaking to Israel. So he's, he's got a covenant with them. But I, I've, I, as I look through the scripture, uh, I go later on. He says, here's the pro- promise of the new covenant that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's the promise is that, that, that he's saying, I'm, I'm going to answer you and I'm going to show you things you do not know. It takes faith to believe Something you can't understand. The thing is, once you have that belief, once you believe God, once you step out in faith, once there's a trust there and you begin to step out in that, then you begin to understand things. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, your eyes, if your eyes are open, you'll see. And if your ears are open, you'll hear. And if your heart is open, then what? You'll understand. If your heart's open, you'll understand. He doesn't say if you have five university degrees, you'll understand. He says if your heart is open, you'll understand. Why? Because we're talking about something that God can reveal. The knowledge of God is not something you can figure out. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians, if by the wisdom of the world we could have known God, we would have known God. It says the the wisest of the wise could not get to him. Couldn't get to him with their own wisdom. So he had to reveal it. And that's why he's revealed it. That's why Jesus said, I thank God that you've revealed this to babies. And I don't know if you really feel flattered if you're following Jesus and you got this great revelation. You expect him to say, man, that's some wisdom right there. Wow, you've been studying. Instead, he turns his eyes to heaven and goes, this dummy got it. Lord, I thank you that even this moron, even this numbskull, even this simple-minded, you know, I know he goes, even babies get this. But we're all babies when we come into the kingdom. We grow, thank you, Jesus. But Jesus said to a very educated man, you must be born again if you want to enter the kingdom of God. And this very educated man, this man with multiple degrees, this man who who was respected by people all over the nation, said with a straight face to Jesus, you mean I have to go back in my mom again? And Jesus didn't slap him. (laughs) And Jesus didn't laugh in his face. And he said, no, Nicodemus. And he talked about being born of the Spirit. Watch what Paul is saying. He's persuading them about two things. What are those two things? The kingdom of God and Jesus. And I want to tell you, you don't have the kingdom of God without Jesus. And you don't have Jesus without the kingdom of God. And these are the things the Jewish people had been waiting for. The kingdom of God. But their idea of the kingdom of God is, is that, that the Messiah would come to that very city and knock the Romans down and throw Caesar out. And, and deliver their homeland from occupying forces and raise them up as the nation that, that is above all the other nations. They did not imagine a king that would come and give himself up to die. And that's why from the time of Jesus on the road to Emmaus to Peter 
to the Apostle Paul, to, I mean, all these different apostles at different points, when they're talking to their own people, they've got to go through the scripture and show you that the Messiah had to suffer. Because that was the part they did not understand, that he'd have to suffer and die. And they showed him this, no, like Paul's not even telling his own stories. He's not even telling his own testimony. He's going back to the Old Testament and saying, it all talks about him. It all came true. And he's speaking about the kingdom of God, solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God. He says, some of them believed, but some of them would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. And this word's going to sting. He says, the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah, the prophet, to your father, saying, go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return. And I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. So he's not saying... I'm taking away salvation from the Jews. He doesn't say that. He says they will also listen. He's talking about God's bringing people from, from all these tribes. But he says, and this is, this is scandalous for some of them, God's going to bring this message to not just you, but to the Gentiles. Because they'll listen. And he says in verse 29, When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching what? The kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. He's under house arrest. He's got a Roman soldier sitting next to him all the time. But the Bible says he was doing with all openness unhindered. In fact, he wrote a letter under house arrest at one point and he goes, He goes, I'm in chains, but the gospel is unchained. I love that. So many times we think, oh, gospel's oppressed. We can't say what we want to say. You can. You just won't. (laughs) If you're looking for society to fully back everything you believe, you're going to be waiting until past Jesus' return. Like, don't wait. You have all openness. Even if you're in a nation that says, if you dare preach the gospel, we throw you in prison. Preach with all openness. You're not hindered. The gospel is unchained, right? So so I want you to see something, because this is the key here, is that that Paul is saying there's two things he's preaching, and Luke is telling us about this. There are two things that Paul will not stop talking about, and it's the kingdom of God, and it's Jesus as the Messiah. And he's going to talk about this for two years to anybody that will visit him at his house. This is the message that was received by some and rejected by others. This is the message that some rejected, leading him to say, In your case, the prophecy is fulfilled. And he said the same thing that Jesus said after the parable of the sower. Do you remember? Jesus told a parable about a man who sows, he plants seed. And how some of that seed falls on the road. And when it falls on the road, it won't go into the ground because the road is hard. And so birds come and eat it. And how some of the seed falls on shallow ground where there's rocks just underneath the soil. 
And for a moment, they receive it with joy. And they, they love the church service, and they're excited by the message, and they love the miracles. But when things get hard, they have no root. When the sun starts beating down, they dry up and they fall away because root, they have no root system. Then he talks about a group of people that have received the word, have borne fruit, have, have become fruitful, even have roots in the ground, but then their life gets really busy. Anybody been there? Life gets busy. He says there are things that come and choke out like thorns, like weeds coming in and choking out the root system. He says these are the cares of this world. These are the deceitfulness of riches. This is the desire for other things. Things steal your heart. Things steal your attention. Things steal your energy and your time. And you stop bearing fruit. Then he talked about a group of people. He says that they're good soil and the seed goes into their heart and their heart is good. It's sincere and it's open. And when it goes into that heart, it says he, it bears 30, 60, 100 fold. That's the multiplication that happens. But when Jesus first told this parable, he didn't tell the meaning, did he? Like he just told a bunch of farmers really basic farming tips. Right? Guys, if you throw seed on the parking lot, it's not going to grow anything. Amen, hallelujah, brother, keep preaching. <laughs> These women that said, husband, come, this guy's an amazing teacher, you're going to get so much out of this. You know, like the men that brought their sons and like, man, I hear this guy does miracles, let's go. And they all come check this out and they go, I've been hearing about the wisdom he's going he's gonna to drop on us, this is going to be amazing. And he just goes, let me tell you some farming principles, put seed on a, on a highway, won't grow. Seed on a rocky soil grows for a little bit, doesn't grow very good. Seed on thorny ground grows for a while, gets choked out. Seed on good ground, good fruit, good fruit, good harvest. And all these farmers are like, well, yeah, we know that. <laughs> Don't worry, he's not done. Guys, he's not done. He, he, he'll tell us what it, he'll, he'll, he's going to drop the bomb on us, right? And Jesus goes, thank you guys. God bless you as you go. Um, shake somebody's hand, you know. Let the ushers, if you, if you need a connect card, get the connect card. He just walks away. And then the Bible tells us his disciples follow him quite a ways. It says when they were finally alone, his followers go, what that mean? Because <laughs> we know you weren't, that, that couldn't have been it. What did that mean? And he says, well, to you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom. But to the rest of them, I just speak in parables. And then he quotes this Old Testament prophecy. Because seeing, they will not hear. Or seeing, they will not hear. Hearing, they will not understand. Seeing, they will not uh, perceive. For the heart of this people has grown dull. Their eyes have been closed. With their ears, they scarcely hear. And then he says, but your eyes, blessed are your eyes, to see what they see and their ears, to, to hear what they hear. And then he explained the parable to them. And he told them what each thing meant. You know, we wonder, was it, was it just 12 people that got the explanation? Well, the Bible tells us that there was actually a large group of followers, a multitude of people following Jesus. I believe it was a lot more than 12, but there was a group of people that followed him and said, what in the world does that mean? Because they weren't okay with just a good service. They weren't okay even just seeing some miracles. If Jesus said something, I want to know what it means. 
So they follow him and they ask him. And he says, to you it's been granted to know. Why? Did they get a special badge going in? Did God just pick them before they were born? And bad luck for the rest of you. God didn't pick you to know this. No, the reason it's been granted to them to know is because they asked. That's what Jesus said, ask and you'll receive. Those people don't care enough to ask. Everybody heard the same parable. And everybody that asked got the explanation. Nobody asked and Jesus said, you don't, I'm not going to tell you. It hasn't been granted to you. No, anybody that asked, he said, here's what it means. And I wonder how many of us are hungry enough to ask. How many of us care enough to ask and say, Lord, I don't understand this. I'm going to follow you up the mountain. I'm going to find out. What we see here is that, that our hearts, the, the hearts of these people have become dull. You know, dull doesn't mean you're dead. Dull doesn't mean that it's not working. But if your heart, in other words, the depth of who you are, you're dull to the things of God. You, you used to be sensitive, Right? Sensitive to God, you used to hear his voice, you used to know, you used to be stirred by the things that stir God. It dims. Your ears, he says, they've closed their ears. It doesn't say that God closed them, it says they've closed their ears. They've started to close their eyes so they don't see. And Jesus said the same thing that Paul said here. He quotes the Old Testament and says, otherwise... If they would just open their eyes, they would see. If they would open their ears, they'd hear. And if they'd open their heart, they'd understand. And when you see and you hear and you understand, you do something. Do you want to know, friends, how you know if you're seeing? How do you know if you're hearing God? How do you know if your heart is open? How do you know if your eyes, ears, and heart are open? Like, is it that you go home understanding every sermon? No. Sometimes you got to ask, right? How do you know your ears are open? How do you know your eyes are open? How do you know your heart is open? Because it will turn you. It will turn your life. You will turn. And then something happens when you turn to the Lord. He heals you. He heals your broken soul. He heals your broken body. He heals your broken relation. He heals your life. He heals the things that we've damaged because of our own sin. He heals because he's the healer. He saves because he's the savior. But I want to tell you, a lot of us just want God to put us in an involuntary coma. Just put us in a coma. Just, just, just do your surgery while we're under. And God is saying, no, you need to turn. Listen and turn. You know, one of the things that's happening to this group of people hearing Paul is some of them believe, but some of them will not. Because even though they've talked about the hope of Israel, they have no hope left. Really, they don't even need that hope because they've got good positions. They're not hungry for the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? You know, you see, when you see righteousness in the Gospels, it's always tied together with the kingdom of God. Righteousness is God's right way. Right? 
And so we understand there is a righteousness. When we talk about your righteousness that you got from Jesus, the gift of righteousness, we're talking about your standing with God, right? My standing with God. That's my righteousness that was give, a gift of faith. But when Jesus talks about righteousness, he talks about that kind of righteousness, your standing, your status, who you are in Christ. He doesn't talk about that in the Gospels, but we find that later in the epistles. Who you are before the Lord, uh, your righteousness. But we also hear about his righteousness. So your righteousness is actually his righteousness given to you, right? It's the gift of righteousness. But we also understand a lot of times when Jesus is talking about righteousness, he's talking about his right way. When he talks about righteousness, he talks about his kingdom. It's not right that my son, he's talking about, you know, he's talking about this, this, this young man that's possessed by an evil spirit. This isn't right. And so when the kingdom of God comes, what did he tell the disciples to do? He said, go to every village, preach the kingdom. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Fully, freely you've received, now freely give. Here's the deal. When the kingdom of God comes to your village. And he says, tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. When the kingdom of God comes to your village, things that aren't right are made right. He talks about righteousness when he talks about the, the evil that's been done. And the evil that is perpetuating, he says, here, you've got to come under my righteousness. In my kingdom, we don't do things this way. Now, you could be very religious and say, I want that. Lord, I want your way. Lord, all I want is you. We have so many songs that say these things. But I'll tell you how you know if you really want it. Do you want your life to change? Because if you don't want your life to change probably don't want what you think you want. And these guys, most of them, didn't want their life to change. In fact, Jesus says, when Jesus was walking the earth, the Gospels tell us that many of the Pharisees actually believed in him, but were afraid to confess him for fear that they'd lose their place. But you know the people that were really excited about the kingdom? People that had nothing to lose. <laughs> right? I got nothing to lose. <laughs> So I need this. I need something to change. I recognize my life is a mess. Of course I want something to change. Now listen, some of them didn't stick around either. You know, some of them were hungry and like, I don't like this. I don't like being hungry. And Jesus fed them. And then they followed him and said, do that again. Feed us again. And he goes, well, I've actually got something for you that won't pass away. I've got bread for you that will not mold. I'm the bread of life. And they go, no, nah, I didn't sign up for that. See you later. Because they wanted their natural circumstances to change, but they didn't want their spiritual circumstances to change. So there were poor that thought they wanted to change, but they didn't want the kind of change that Jesus offered. And there were rich that didn't want anything to change. And there were people from both groups that realized, I need a dramatic change inside of me. And I'm reminded of Simeon and Anna at the temple. When Jesus was just a little baby and his parents brought him to the temple and there was a woman named Anna who was a prophetess and the Bible tells us that for years she'd been going to the temple every day with many fastings and prayings. The Bible tells us that she recognized Jesus, just a baby, but she knew that was the Son of God. She knew that was the Messiah. 
And when she prophesied over him and blessed him, she later went and told every one of her friends that had been looking, that had been looking for the consolation of Israel. Let me tell you, you don't go to the temple every day and fast and pray constantly unless something is driving you. She wasn't getting any points for it. She did not get a salary from the temple. She doesn't seem to be like very famous by anybody else's standards. Why is she fasting? She's fasting for the Messiah to come. She's, she's longing for something. See, when we fast, we are, we are saying there is something more important than my physical hunger. There is a hunger that's greater in me than physical hunger. And so I am going to, for a little bit, I'm going to tell my body, you don't call the shots today. You're not calling the shots this month. In fact, when you tell me you're hungry, I'm just going to dig in. I'm just going to dig in and say I am more spiritual hungry than physically hungry. And I'm going to develop a spiritual hunger for the Lord. And so Anna kept praying and fasting because she's waiting on the, on the coming of the Messiah. And when he comes, she doesn't wait till he turns 30. She doesn't wait till he does miracles. She doesn't wait until he grows into something impressive. She sees a few days old baby and celebrates it. Because hungry people see the food. They smell the food before everybody else does, don't they? You know when you're hungry and you smell it. Like, oh, man, I can smell it a mile away. I got hit. We were, I was preaching at a conference last week. And a, a, a Saskatchewan and Manitoba ministers meeting. And I got hit with a stomach bug pretty bad. So, you know when you're praying, Lord, anoint me to preach your word. And don't let me puke on the stage while I do it. That's where I was at, you know. The Lord was good. But I couldn't eat anything. But I was hungry. But I also didn't want to eat anything. You ever felt like that? So my sense of smell was so strong. It was the worst thing. When you're not feeling well and your sense of smell is up there, somebody brought me plain pita bread. Just, just try this. Have a little pita bread. Put it on your stomach. Just something simple. Plain, unsalted, unbuttered, unseasoned pita bread and I was like "Ooh, it smells pita bread stunk to me my I could smell everything about every ingredient because I mean it was just like your your every sense is heightened you get you get in a room with somebody and I know what everybody wore I know you know I didn't want to know any of that I didn't want to smell any of that I just wanted to be in a sensory deprivation chamber for a little bit have you ever been so hungry? You smell everything. You're ready for everything. You, you, you know dinner's coming before everything else. Now, in that case, I didn't want dinner. But I've also been hungry when I did want dinner. And you pull up to the table. Now, somebody that's not hungry, when your kids aren't hungry, what do you got to do? Open it. Here's the airplane. It's coming in the hangar. You got to do different things. You got to bribe but Eat your vegetables. I don't want to eat my vegetables. Oh, come on. If you eat your vegetables, uh, I'll let you have cake after. Whatever you do. I don't know what you do. But, but we have these little things we do to try to get our kids to eat or when they're little. And, or, or, you know, you're trying to convince somebody they should eat. All right, let me bring it to you. I don't really want it. I will bring it to you. You stay on the couch there. I'll bring it to you. Have you ever done that? Oh, I'm not that hungry. No, you need to eat. You just stay right there. I'll bring it to you. I mean, that's what grandmas do when you're over at their house. It's okay. You stay. I'll bring it to you. 
A hungry person, you don't have to talk to like that. How many churches, you know, and I'm sure we've been here too, where you're like having to bring the food to somebody and stuff it down their throat and say, hey, open your mouth. Here's the airplane in the hangar and try to make it. I mean, we're talking about the bread of life. We're talking about the gospel. It's the most exciting thing anybody's ever heard. But we're having to do the airplane in the hangar thing so somebody opens their mouth because they're not hungry. Do you know what Paul said? I'll go to somebody else. In fact, that's what Jesus said too. I'm not going to keep talking to people that aren't hungry, he says. I'll go to the hungry. I'll find them. God's always willing to feed the hungry. He says to them, he doesn't, in fact, here's, here's the truth of the matter. Uh, when we see throughout the scripture, we don't actually see God going to the hungry. We see him calling to the hungry and say, come to me. Anybody who's hungry, come to me. Anybody who's thirsty, come to me. And I guarantee if you're hungry and thirsty, you will go. And I guarantee this, if you will go, you will be filled. Blessed are those, Jesus said, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does that mean? You're in a society that's unrighteous. You're in a world that's unrighteous. You're in a world that's broken by sin. And you're looking around going, this isn't right. I hunger and thirst for it to be better. I hunger and thirst for God to change this. I hunger and thirst for the Messiah. I hunger and thirst for God's presence to change this broken world that I live in. And he goes, you're going to be satisfied. Blessed are you who thirst for this. But to the rest, go on. Seeing but not seeing. Hearing but not hearing. Not understanding. That's a challenging thought because I'd always like to believe that sometimes we like to be really fatalistic and just believe that God picked favorites when we were babies and put a sticker on your forehead and said, no matter what you do, I will always cram food down your throat. But in reality... He's not a respecter of persons. He's not picking favorites. He says, anyone who wants to come, come. But I will tell you this, and I thank God for this. Jesus loves his church. And he loves his church. If we read Revelations 2 and 3, we know this. He loves his church that when they stop being hungry and they think they're doing fine, he loves them enough to come and visit them and say, you're not doing as well as you think you are. I'm telling you, you think you're, you think you're well off, you're poor. You think, you think you're clothed, he says you're actually naked. It's, it's really, you need to know that. He says, I, you think you're fed, he says you are with, you're doing without. And he doesn't tell them, he says you think you can see, but I'm telling you you're blind. He doesn't tell them that so they feel miserable about themselves. He tells them that because he then goes on to say, so come to me, naked people. And now that you know you're naked, right? Now that the emperor realized he doesn't have any clothes on and those hucksters sold him a lie, now let me tell you, I have, got, I have got a robe for you. Let me put it on you. Let me tell you, you people who spent all your life on fool's gold, I've got real gold refined by fire for you. Let me tell you, all you people who think you can see, I will put salve on your eyes so that you can see again. And you'll experience color like you never experienced it because you'll know what it's like to see what I see. And I look, God, I, wanna, I don't want to lose that. Like the Ephesian church, I don't want to lose my first love. I don't want to lose my hunger. I don't, want to, I don't want to get my position so set that I go, finally, life is working for me. I don't want anything to change. No, I need something to change, always. 
Now, thank God I'm in the kingdom. Thank God I'm a child of God. That's not going to change. But I want to move forward. I want to see my world around me changing. I want to see my family change. I want to see my friends change. I'm not content to stay here. And these are the kind of people that Jesus is looking for. And for a lot of them, they've got no reason to want anything different. I've said this to you before, and I've de- we've definitely talked about it around Christmas time, but Simeon and Anna are two very old people waiting for a Savior. One of the things that hurts hungry people is the wait. For some of us, for some people like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were so well-fed that they weren't hungry anymore. They, 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 they thought they were well-fed. But for people like Simeon and Anna, one of the temptations is, I've hungered and thirsted. Why hasn't it happened like I thought it should? I'm tired of hungering and thirsting. It's a lot of work coming to the temple and praying, longing for something. Simeon saw the miracle he'd been waiting for all his life. It was the last miracle he ever experienced. Can you imagine the greatest miracle in your life you had to wait your whole life for? Couldn't build, you couldn't, you couldn't have it right at the beginning and build your testimony on this great thing God did in my 20s. Simeon had to wait until he was about to die. But he did. And I want to urge some of you, This is what Jesus is telling you in Matthew 5. If you have hungered and thirsted, and maybe you're tired of the hunger, maybe you're tired of the thirst, I want want to remind you what Jesus said. We live in a, a new covenant, and he said, if you'll drink of me out of your innermost full rivers of living water, and you'll never go thirsty again. So here's the here's the tension. You will always thirst for more but you'll never go thirsty. You'll always hungry for, hunger for more, but you'll never go hungry. Does that make sense? You always can pull at the, up at the table and be fed. You always can have that spirit of God flow out of your innermost and, 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 and water the dry soil of your life. And so I want to tell you that while you are waiting for more, don't wait for what God has in front of you right now. Pull up to the table right now. Feast, even in the presence of my enemies. You say, when it settles down, I'll eat. That's not what Psalm 23 says. He sets a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I'm not waiting till the battle's over. I'm eating right now because I need what's on his table. I need the kingdom of God. We need the kingdom of God. Let's never be so happy with Canada that we don't desire something greater. Let's never be so happy with our little corner of, of wherever, your little plot of land you live in and your, and your wife and kids and, and your job and say, ah, I'll take my ease. Don't, don't settle to that place. God has more. Desire it. I've told you this so many times. I I went through a season of my life where I didn't have that desire, but man, I wanted it. Because I saw people that had a desire for the Lord, and I wanted to be like them. And so I said, I don't have a hunger, Lord, but I have a hunger to be hungry. Give me a hunger. I think those are some of the things you can do. Number one, look to his word. Because his promises will stir a hunger in you. If you're not hungry today, look to his word. 
Remind yourself of the promise of God. Sing the songs of Zion. Yeah? Sing the songs of Zion and remember, you're not meant to stay in Babylon forever. Look over the river. You say, I don't like looking over the river. We cry when we look over the river. Yeah, but you remember the promise of God. I will not leave you in Babylon forever. I will bring you home to your good land. Remember. This is one of the things you can do. If you've lost desire, if you've lost hunger for the king, remember when you had it. That's what Jesus said to the Ephesian church. Remember from where you felt. See, I hear, I imagine it this way. That's a command. But you know, every time God gives a command, there's an empowerment to it. I almost imagine Jesus, and this is my own speculation, but I almost imagine Jesus, the moment he said to the church, remember, I imagine a supernatural sight, a, a, just a, a, an awakening of their memory. The moment the Lord says, now remember, and the ones that received that word, I know they had to choose to remember, but I believe God empowered them to remember it like it used to be. Because, you know, we remember our own history, and we, we, we sort of like put saran wrap over it. We, 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 we turn our history into a, you know, a wax thing. You know, it loses the vibrancy of it. It turns into statues. Right? I love statues. I, I don't love them. I like them. I like going to museums and seeing these statues of these great people. But, like, wouldn't it be cool to actually talk to that person? You don't, you don't say, man, something great about this statue. This statue, I could just hang around the statue all day. You, you think, man, if I could talk to that person, wouldn't that be amazing? Sometimes our memories about what God did for us become a wax museum of his faithfulness. And instead, he wants to bring you back to the vibrancy and the life of it. Do you remember who you are? Remember who I am. Remember what I've done. Go back and remember. And then he says to the Ephesians, remember and then do the things you used to do. Remember, hang around people that are hungry. Is that another one? Do you know anybody's hungry for the Lord? Hang around them. You got an Anna in your life? Pray with Anna for a while. You'll get tired. Take a break, come back in the room, pray with her some more. Remind yourself of the word of God. Stir your soul up. Pray in the Holy Spirit. These are all things, tools God's given you. Because God, more than anything, God doesn't want you to be dull. We think it's just us that needs, we're the ones that really say, I don't like being dull. I don't like being just sit, sitting there like a bump in a log. The Lord wants you to be alive. He wants you to be awake. We sang that song, Awake My Soul. That's the way he wants you to live, is awake and hungering for more of his kingdom. And when you're awake, you're alert. You know what time it is, right? One of the first things you do when you wake up in the morning is you look at the time. People that are awake know the times and the seasons they're living in. They know when, when the Lord starts to do something because their, their senses are up. They're ready. They're at the temple. They're ready. They're not having to say, Lord, if you want me to believe it, Lord, Lord, if you want me to know more, send somebody to my door. Have them do something amazing so it gets my attention. Lord, give me a sermon series that's actually interesting for once. Lord, let it be something that piques my curiosity. Let me tell you, if these are the things you're asking, you're probably not very hungry. Because I will take a dry, bone-dry 
boring sermon that talks about the glory of God and feeds me. If, it, if that person's preaching by the Spirit of God, he might, that, that man or woman may have no, no style that appeals to me, might not have any stories I find interesting, might have no humor, anything, but if it is the Word of God and it's what I'm hungering for, I will eat it up. How do I know that? Because I have consumed that. I've found guys that wrote stuff in the 19th century, and they weren't trying to appeal to the mass market. And I'm just like, I will have to slog through this. I almost need an English-to-English dictionary to read it. But I read it, and I go, this person walked with God. You ever, ever be around someone, you know they've walked with the Lord? This is a friend of God. This is somebody that spends time in his presence. This is someone that's gone deeper than I've gone, and I want to go there. And you begin to read it. You begin to hear it. You begin to sing it, sing those songs that came from that place. Something stirred up in you. So I believe in 2023, 2022, 2024, the Lord is awakening the church in Canada. I believe he really did a strong work in the church in Canada in these past few years to wake us up, to shake us up. Some of the shaking has been pleasant. Some of it has not. We found out who we were. And we found out who we weren't. We found out what we needed. We found out where we lacked. Now the Lord, he's uprooted some things. He's, he's thrown down some things. He's destroyed some things so that he can build and plant. And the Lord is building and planting right now, and I believe. Do you remember January 2020 when the Lord gave us Jeremiah 1? I have put my words in your mouth to pluck up, to throw down, to overthrow, to destroy, to build, and to plant. And we said this. January 2020, the Lord said to us, some things are going to be plucked up, some things are going to be shaken, some things are going to be destroyed so that I can build and plant. And we thought, man, we probably have some cool special meetings coming up. Right around March 2020, Lord, what do you got for us? Boy, there was some plucking up, some throwing down, some stuff we did. Oh, my Lord. Take it back. Take it back. I'll go back to 2019 when things were better. I'm not saying God sent COVID. I'm just saying we found out. The Lord was preparing us for something. He said there'll be a time where things are going to be shaken. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that the unshakable things can remain. Yeah. Now the Lord is planting some things. And I, I truly believe um, that it would be very easy for us to right now say we're in a good spot. We're in a good place. People are getting saved. Church has got a, an excitement to it. Churches in the city are starting to work together again. Praise the Lord. These are exciting things. We could set back and go, cruise control. Or we could bear down. We could get hungry. And we could say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in Lloydminster as it is in heaven. Lord, I need your daily bread. I don't need bread once a week on a Sunday. I need your daily bread. Give it to me, Lord. I need you, Lord. I need your presence more. If we're not in that place every day where we say, Lord, I need your presence. I can't survive without it. Then we are not in the depths that God called us to. There is a place where you say, if I don't have him, I can't survive. 
That's the place where he's called you to thrive in. This is the place he's calling you to, to live on the edge of your own, in fact, past the edge of your own ability, into a place where you say, I am walking on water, and if I'm not looking at Jesus, I'll drown. That's the place of faith. When you're stepping out and you're going, Lord, use this church, use this body, and Lord, I want to see your kingdom more than I ever do. I'm hungering for your righteousness. Now let me tell you, hungering for righteousness will make you discontent with the present world. And if you're discontent without the presence of God, you'll become bitter. Anna wasn't bitter. Simeon wasn't bitter. You need to take that to the Lord. And you need to refresh in his presence. Because as you look at him, you're delighting in him. That's what the psalmist said. The psalmist said, I was angry. I was upset that these wicked people were prospering. He said, if I had opened my mouth, I would have betrayed a whole generation. He said, I was so bad, I should, I, if I had spoken, I would have done something bad. But he said, then I came into your sanctuary, and I perceived their end. I saw what you saw. You'll be so discontent with what society has told you is the goal of life. You'll be discontent with the way things are. You will long for something more. You'll long for the return of Christ. You'll long for his kingdom both to come and the kingdom right now. You'll long for these things. And yet you won't be useless because as you refresh in his presence, you're going to bring that kingdom to people around you. You're going to bring that savior to people around you. You realize that we are hastening the return of Christ. The Bible, Peter said we are looking forward to and hastening the return of Christ. We don't do that on our couch. That happens when we hit the streets. That happens when, we sh when the gospel spreads beyond our house. That's how we're hastening. So we're, what we're doing here is we're saying, Lord, I'm looking forward to your return, but I understand why you haven't returned yet. You're not slow. You're patient. So we've got a job to do. And I urge you today, I know we have a hungry group of people here. I just urge you never to stop being hungry. Never stop pulling up to the table. Never stop stirring up that, that well within you and, and say, Lord, uh, water the ground of my heart. Water the soil of my heart. Never stop putting your roots deeper tomorrow than they were yesterday so that you tap into the well of God, the river of life. There is a river that flows from the throne of God, and it makes glad the city of our God. We're the city of God. Do you know that? And his river, his presence makes us glad. It refreshes our dry bones. It brings water to our topsoil, and it sinks down into our root system. And I want you to know that it is here today. Can we stand together and just thank God for his life, for his promise? Hunger and thirst for righteousness and be filled. Hunger and thirst for the kingdom. Hunger and thirst for the kingdom of God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you're not passing us by, but you are calling us. You're inviting us to something deeper. You're inviting us to something greater. You're inviting us. And Lord, we say, Lord, we're coming. We are coming. You said, hey, everybody that thirsts, come to the well. You said, everybody that's hungry, come to me and buy food without cost. You said, why do you waste your wages on what does not satisfy why do you waste your time and your energy on what is not bread? But come to me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.